Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. It's our hope that this message would encourage you in your faith and would help you to get to know God's love, grace, and mercy in a personal way. If you have any questions on the sermon or would like to know more about Maranatha, please visit us on the web at maranathafreelutheran.com or call our church office at 218-498-2808. Thank you, and may God bless. How long do we have to wait? You've probably all asked a question like that sometime. Uh, If you went shopping on Black Friday, uh, you might have wondered how long do I have to wait in line uh, to get my purchases. Um, When you were a kid uh, and presents started appearing under the Christmas tree in December, you might have asked for days, uh, how long do we have to wait to open our presents? Um, If you go on a long trip uh, to an exciting destination, uh, you may have asked, how long till we get there? One of my kids, uh, years ago, as our family was traveling along in a van, asked it this way, when are we going to be there, pretty soon or after a while? <laughs> Those have been the two standard answers, and so I figured it was one or the other and hoped it was pretty soon. Well, most all of us find it hard to wait in all kinds of different situations, and and passively waiting with nothing to do is the worst, isn't it? Uh, and that's why standing in line at the store is so hard, right? Um, now, if we were given something to do while we were there, maybe straightening up the uh, stuff right there um, on the shelves by the counter, or, or even just talking to the person next to us in line, uh, maybe the waiting isn't quite so hard. Well, the text at the end of our study of 1 Timothy that we'll be looking at today reminds us that as Christians, we are waiting for something, but we're not just passively waiting around with nothing to do. Uh, there's something to do while we wait. And so I invite you to look with me as we look in 1 Timothy chapter 6 today, and here the Apostle Paul gives Timothy and, and us as well then five imperatives or, or five calls to action while we wait. I invite you to stand in reverence to God's word as I read. 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning with verse 11. <clears throat> but as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality and who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you for this, your word to us. And we pray that as we consider the weight that we have as Christians for the return of Christ, that you would remind us of what we are to be doing while we wait. And Lord, that you would help us to live in that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So today is the first Sunday in Advent, and we reflect then on God's plan to send his Son to earth 
um, to be a savior for sinners. And during Advent, then we also focus on his promise that one day Jesus will return and he'll take all who trust in him to glory in heaven. When will that be? How long will we have to wait? Well, the answer to that is not given in this text, but we are told what we are to be doing while we wait. Last week, in, in verses before these, then, we looked at some characteristics of false teachers of religion, in, including that they're typically arrogant, ignorant, divisive, and greedy. And in absolute contrast to, to that, then, we who are followers of Jesus Christ should be. And, and so Paul addresses us here, and he uses the term, O man of God, and it's a term that in the Old Testament was used to describe various leaders of Israel, such as Moses and Samuel, David, Elijah, and, and others. Here, though, it should be understood to refer to any person, even male or female, who belongs to God rather than to the world. Several times in this letter, Paul has said to Timothy, I charge you, or something similar to that. And remember, to charge someone is to authoritatively expect something of him or her. And so again, we have that terminology that comes up in this passage. And we see here then in verses 11 to 14, five imperatives, five calls to action while we Christians wait. John Stott uh, suggests three categories of those imperatives, and so we're going to look at it that way here. First of all, ethical, and then doctrinal, then experiential. Ethical imperatives here. And ethics then have to do with moral standards of right and wrong. And relating to that, then, Paul urges Timothy and all Christians to flee from some things that are clearly wrong. Flee these things. Run from them. And he's referring back to the verses preceding this here. And so, like you would run from a dangerous animal, so flee from some things that we talked about last week here. Flee from love of self, where you're conceited and arrogant and think more highly of yourself than you ought to think and, and live just to satisfy your selfish cravings. Flee from, from a love of controversy, uh, from living to start arguments and, and be quarrelsome and, and always want to be right even about insignificant things. Flee from love of money, from, from living then to accumulate earthly possessions and being covetous of those that are rich. Run from those things because they can lead us to get wrapped up in our life in other things and, and neglect our living relationship with God. Flee from evil. Take constant evasive action to avoid doing the things that you know to be wrong. And then he goes on to say, pursue these things. That is doggedly, determinedly go after these things. Like a hunter determined to get the big buck that he saw, or a, or a runner determined to finish the or to cross the finish line and, and to win the race. So pursue these things. And he lists here, righteousness and godliness. That is, seek to then constantly live your life doing what you know to be right and live then consistent with what you say you believe. And, and though we will not completely ever su succeed during this earthly life in that, still godly living is to be our unending goal in life. He also says, pursue faithfulness and love, of a love of God and of others. And then also, steadfastness and gentleness. If you think about those words, steadfastness is patience in difficult circumstances. 
Gentleness is patience with difficult people. And we all have difficult circumstances in our lives and difficult people to deal with. And God calls us to then, in the midst of those circumstances, endure. And in dealing with those difficult people, to be patient and to be gentle. And so to sum up these ethical imperatives here, we are to run from evil as we run from danger. And we are to run after goodness as we run after success. In verse 12, then we go on here and we see doctrinal imperative here for the believer. He says, fight the good fight of the faith. And the picture here then is like of a wrestling match or of a military battle. A fight that requires then strenuous effort and which we are determined not to lose no matter what. What could be worth such intense effort in our lives? The highest cause in the world, the Christian faith. There are some essential doctrines or beliefs that we cannot give up or we lose touch with reality and we end up living a lie and end up unprepared for eternity. And those essential beliefs come to us in God's written word, the Bible, where it reveals to us an all-powerful God who created this amazing universe that we live in and created mankind as the crown of his creation. And the Bible also reveals to us how mankind then has sinned and rebelled against his creator and as a result lost that relationship with God that God had intended for us and how mankind then is also helpless to restore it and deserves then the righteous wrath of God. But God in love for mankind provided a way of forgiveness and restoration through the death of his son, Jesus Christ. John 3.16 sums that up so well. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. That's the very basics of the Christian faith. It is worth fighting intensely for. The Christian faith, you see, gives us a framework in which to understand the world that we live in. It gives us answers concerning how to deal with the guilt that we live with because of the times where we have gone against what we know to be right and where you've hurt our relationship with other people and where it's caused us then also to feel far from God. The Christian faith also gives us perspective on our own mortality and it offers us a sure hope of life beyond the grave for those who believe in Jesus as their Savior. No other religion gives such assurance. And that's why when, when, when Jesus asked Peter, if he would also go away when he saw others leaving him and not following him any longer, Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. And we believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. <clears throat> As a pastor, there are times I get called to uh, come and support people that are facing some difficult circumstances. Sometimes it's an illness or, or death of a loved one and so on. And sometimes I hardly know the people I'm called to minister to at that point, and I'm painfully aware that in myself I really have nothing to offer them. But God's word offers hope, no matter who they are, if they will look to Jesus. And that's what I share. The Christian faith doesn't just offer some nice sayings to make one feel good for the moment. Rather, it gives us a framework to know reality. It, it reveals the truth from God to us for this life and for eternity. And you know, there is tremendous pressure in our pluralistic society to change the message, to compromise the law and the gospel, to soften the seriousness of sin and its consequences, and, and ignore the need for repentance, and then kind of make the gospel into just a, a message of God is love, and all roads are going to get you to heaven. 
And so you really don't even need Jesus. Paul tells Timothy and all followers of Jesus Christ here, fight the good fight of the faith. Contend for the faith. Defend it because it is a matter of truth versus lies. And so stand for the truth of God's word and against the lies of Satan. There are two more imperatives here for followers of Jesus Christ um, that John Stott calls experiential imperatives. And it's, one of them is this, take hold of the eternal life. Verse 12, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. We, we tend to think of eternal life as life in heaven, right? A after this earthly life is over. And so we might wonder then, well, how am I to take hold of that when I'm still here? But actually, eternal life is a present possession as well as a future hope. Jesus said in, in John chapter 5, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but is passed out of death and into life. I think it may be possible for someone to believe in Jesus kind of as fire insurance, keep them out of hell, but not grasp the significance of this present life, believing in and living in a relationship with Jesus. And we are encouraged here to grasp firmly the eternal life in a relationship with Jesus here and now. Let it shape your daily life. Let it motivate us to boldly share with people around us the life-giving gospel message of forgiveness of sin and eternal life in, in Jesus. There's an additional imperative here in verse 14. He says, keep this commandment unstained and free from reproach. And I understand this commandment here refers to really everything we've talked about above. The ethical imperatives and the doctrinal ones as well. Don't compromise the faith in what you teach or in how you live. Guard that content. And so why is it? Why flee evil and pursue godly living and fight for the faith and take hold of eternal life and keep this command? Well, as we look at verse 13 here, we see the motivation of Paul here, the reasons for this charge that he gives. And he mentions two things. One is that God is present, and the other is that Jesus Christ is returning. God, the one who gives life to all things, is present. The one who made you and who has a plan for your life. He's watching all that we do and say, and he's also then there to help us in whatever he calls us to do. And then Jesus Christ, who made the good confession before Pilate, is returning. Remember in the text earlier today then, what, what Jesus said when, when he stood before Pilate and, and Pilate asked him if he was king of the Jews, he said, my kingdom is not of this world. He also said, everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. According to the Bible, someday Jesus, the King of Heaven, will return to earth in power and in glory, and he'll usher in then Judgment Day. And when we see him coming in the clouds, the earthly possessions that we've been hanging on to will not matter at all to us anymore. What will matter is if we're ready to face our Maker, and if we're trusting in Jesus as Savior and Lord. And if so, what else will matter is who we can bring with us to glory. And, and so how long are we to flee evil and pursue godly living and fight for the fight of faith and take hold of eternal life and keep the command? Well, remember what I mentioned earlier here. You know, when you're on that long road trip, it helps us a bit to know um, when are we going to be there pretty soon or after a while. 
And when we're in that long line at Menards on Black Friday, it, it helps us to know it if, at least if the line is moving, right? And when you're that little kid waiting for Christmas, it, it's nice to know that the days are ticking by and, and you can mark them off on your calendar. However, when it comes to the return of Jesus Christ, it, it may be pretty soon or maybe after a while. The line is moving, the, the days are ticking by, but the end date is unknown. Signs indicate to us that it, it's closer than ever, and certainly there are times that we wonder as we look at the world around us how long it can continue going the way it is. God's word tells us so in Matthew 24, Jesus' words here, but of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. And so until Jesus comes back, be ready. And keep fleeing evil, pursuing godly living, fighting for the faith, taking hold of eternal life, until Jesus Christ returns. And here it describes it as, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Kind of like a, a, a movie debut, when, when the movie first appears in the theaters. So we're, we're waiting with anticipation for that time, the appearing of the King of Heaven, the self-disclosure of the King of Heaven. And during Advent this year, then, that word appearing is going to come up repeatedly. As in the next uh, three weeks here, we're going to be looking in the book of Titus, so Paul's letter to Titus. And uh, I like to call it glad tidings in Titus. Um, here we will see, then, Jesus, the promised Messiah, both that he has appeared and also that he will appear again. <clears throat> and so look for that word if you're reading through Titus, and you'll see the word appear, appear. And when Jesus does appear, when he does return, then all of those above imperatives we've been talking about will no longer be needed. We won't have to flee sin anymore. We won't have to pursue righteousness anymore. We won't need to fight for the faith and we will have complete hold on eternal life. When will that be? We're only told here at the proper time. That is, it's in God the Father's hands. We don't know the hour of our death or of Christ's return, so it's best to be ready for them both and to be doing what matters until then. Our mission here at Maranatha, making disciples of Jesus Christ while we wait for his return. So one other thing we see toward the end of these verses. The, the real source of Paul's charge to Timothy is, is God himself. And, and Paul reminds us in verse 15 and 16 here then of, of God's absolute awesomeness. And here we have some things listed about God that are, are kind of a grand benediction to this section. Four words that, that start with I, I think, help us to grasp a bit of who he is. And, and they are these. Invincible. The, the blessed only sovereign, it says here, the, the king of kings and lord of lords. And sometimes we call a king a sovereign. That is a, a supreme ruler, one who possesses ultimate power in that nation. But you know, all earthly kings are powerless before the only true sovereign, the king of kings and lord of lords, Jesus, the son of God. God is also immortal. That is not subject to change caused by time or by death, or even, or, or decay. <clears throat> Humans, we think of as immortal in that they have a soul that never dies, 
but only the triune God actually has life in himself. God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God's immortality is, is beyond us to fully understand. He's also inaccessible. That is, he's beyond the reach of sinful people. He, it tells us here he dwells in unapproachable light. Darkness can't enter his presence or overcome him. And he is invisible. No man has ever been able to see God face to face. He's here in this very room, but invisible to our human eyes. He chose to visibly reveal himself to mankind for a time in a human form in the person of Jesus Christ, um, who has now ascended back into heaven. And we can't see him now, but one day we will, when he appears. And so, in conclusion, he says here then, to him, to the invisible, immortal, inaccessible, invisible God, be honor and eternal dominion. Let us pray. Lord, it's just beyond us to understand who you are and, and uh, all that you have done for us. We thank you, Lord, though, that you have revealed yourself in your word and that you reveal yourself through the person of Jesus Christ. Thank you that he came that it's in our history books, it's in our Bibles. We, we know of his time here on this earth and what he taught and also of his suffering and death on the cross as an atonement for our sin. And we thank you for that. And we thank you for the promises of his return. And we pray that as we go through this Advent season that we would be anticipating Christmas coming and the time to celebrate that um, and reflect on his, your first coming, but also, Lord, that we would be anticipating when you return. And so, Lord, while we wait, help us to be living for you. Help us to flee evil and, and to pursue what is good and right. Help us to stand on the word of God and, and fight for the faith. And, and Lord, we pray that you would also then make us aware uh, of, that this season is an opportunity to share your message of hope with a world that um, is, is desperately needing to hear that. And Lord, may we point them to Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.